everyone. This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to uh, talk about drafting red-black in Phyrexia All Will Be One. As always, the notes are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, uh, so you can follow along there. And diving right into it, red-black is the second least drafted color combination comparable to blue-green, the least drafted. They're drafted at very similar rates. In terms of win rate, it's appreciably ahead of all of the Sultai combinations and blue-red, which are significantly behind the pack, but it's behind all the other archetypes. So um, that actually balances out to winning a below average amount, but it's not horrible. The weirdest thing to me, among a number of really weird things about the stats in red-black, is that Chimney Rabble is the top performing common or uncommon in black-red but it's taken like seventh pick on average. And uh, seventh pick on average among 17 lands users who are more likely to know that Chimney Rebel has very good uh, good stats. Chimney Rebel is a really good card in red-black, uh, like in ter- not like in terms of its overall strength, but in terms of its synergy. Like it's a relatively good card in red-black compared to how it would be in other archetypes, I guess, because you do v- appreciate the 1-1. So... I expect that in general you should expect to take the chimney rebels that you see and to generally have multiple of them and to kind of draft expecting that chimney rebel is going to be a part of your deck. There are a lot of things about the 17 lands data that don't make a ton of sense to me. Like basically it makes sense to me that the most generically good cards have the best stats and the narrower, more synergy focused red black cards have worse stats. But I guess, like, there's a package of cards that I've kind of liked in red-black, like the Skull Bombs and Necrosquito and Exuberant Fusling and Churning Reservoir, basically, like, the red-black oil and stuff dying package. All of those cards have horrendous stats on 17 lands. I think that, I still kind of believe that they're decent if you get it all together and kind of lean into it, but it's certainly dangerous to be like, hey, you should, like, lean on all these cards that are really bad. I don't know. I still kind of believe that there's something there, but I can't say that I've been so successful with it that I can say, hey, you should prioritize this over the good stuff. But there's like some weird stuff going on with the stats overall. Like, for example, Hexgold Halberd is somehow 3% behind Barbed Batterfist in Red Black, which I just can't imagine those cards are that different in Red Black. Like, I, I could believe maybe for some reason Barbed Batterfist is actually better than Hexgold Halberd in Red black, but not three percent better. And Hexgold Halberd is taken earlier. You're spending a more expensive pick on it, but again, three percent is just a huge difference for two cards that are extremely similar. So I don't know. I, I'm certainly inclined to grain of salt all of the uh, specific seventeen land stats. So stepping back from that and looking kind of a little more big picture, I think that uh, red black in this format is really about playing a small game and trading off a lot you know you have a lot of like really small ball two for ones and good removal and cards that explicitly benefit from stuff trading or going to the graveyard i think that you know that's what you should expect you should expect that you are trying to exchange objects with your opponent ideally in an object positive way for you so trade your batter fist for their two drop and then you still have the equipment in play Trade your uh, Rabble for their 4-drop or their 3-drop, and then you still have the Goblin. Trade your Hive Master for their anything, and then you still have the Might. And then you can 
sacrifice those random extra objects to annihilating glare or you can just like find some way to trade something else or just clear blockers and attack with them or uh whatever but it's a lot easier to get value out of these extra one ones and stuff that you're making over the course of the game if you have removal to kind of keep their board clear so in these kind of small games small grindy games testament bearer and axiom engraver are I think some key commons. Uh, they're both very good at kind of grinding out edges in small games. Testament bearer uh, trades with something and you know gives you a whole card to replace it. And axiom engraver uh, kind of helps make sure that you don't flood and can find your synergies and uh, you know discard. Mostly you're discarding extra lands. Also, if you are doing kind of the like skull bomb stuff then uh, those cantrips are likely to lead to you having more lands than you need in the late game. Axiom Engraver helps a lot with uh, not flooding out there. I think, you know, that's just big picture. You're really just like, I want to trade off uh, card for card wherever I can and then kind of grind the game out with uh, Testament Bearer and Axiom Engraver and card advantage from, like, your Char Forger. That's the red-black uncommon and whatever other sources of card advantage you can get. And, uh, you know, sometimes, for example, that's churning reservoir with ways to, like, make goblins over and over or whatever. So I think there are kind of some really, like, I think you basically want a few commons and uncommons significantly ahead of the other commons and uncommons at, like, two, three, and four mana. Like, I think that... uh, you're really looking for Barb Batterfist and Axiom Engraver at two, like as many of those as you can get. You really want to have a lot of twos, and those are so much better than your other options. Then at three, I think, you know, ideally Char Forger and Ambulatory Edifice uh, at Uncommons, but, you know, Furnace Punisher and Attracts a Skitter Fang and Stinging Hive Master and even Cutthroat Centurion are like not wildly worse. Like if you play. Kind of any of those threes, you should be fine. And then at four, I think you want Rabbles and Testament Bearers. And I think that both Rabble and Testament Bearer go late enough that you uh, shouldn't have to play really any other fours. Although I do also like Necrosquito, especially if you're leaning into the like oil and sacrifice side of things. Though, if you aren't kind of doing that and kind of playing some of those low stat cards, then you might want to avoid Necrosquito. It has lower stats than uh, most of the cards that 17 lands. Like It doesn't have great stats, and it certainly isn't as reliable of a standalone card as Chimney Rebel and Testament Bearer in that, you know, it dies to a Hex Gold Slash or um, a Volt Charge or whatever. And for four mana, that can be trading down significantly. But uh, if you're playing, you know, like Furnace Skull Bombs and stuff, it can very easily take over a game. Like, it's not hard to have a giant flyer uh, in red-black with Necrosquito. I think you basically shouldn't look to... Like, you shouldn't worry about any other four drops outside of rare. Those will basically cover you. You can play a lot of them. It's not bad. Similarly, I think that, uh, you know, for five drops, uh, Furnace Strider is really the gold standard but it's fine to play like Warden or Skyward or whatever, the five mana, five, five uncommon. And if you want a little bit more at the top, I'm not the biggest fan, but Cruel Grimnark has reasonable stats. Again, it's the kind of card that can 
be pretty impactful in a small game if you're like looking for a little bit more top end you can get it basically for free in the draft so it can be reasonable to think about it as a card that you can potentially include in your deck and not be embarrassed plays well with like testament bearer in the uh, testament bearer kind of extends the game helps you like it's good to have like good hits to find and i think you're generally going to make your land drops and stuff so not the end of the world if you have a Cruel Grimnark at the top of your curve, the uh, Death Touch, they discard a card where you gain five life, six mana common. Yeah, then the rest of your deck, you know, removal, and then, like, the slightly weaker, like, ones, twos, and threes. I think that I would prioritize a lot of the premium creatures over a lot of the removal. Hexgold Slash, I think, is the best common removal spell for this deck, uh, probably followed by Anoint and then... Uh, Voltaic Charge, or Volt Charge, and then Annihilating Glare. I think Blazing Crescendo and Free from Flesh are also fine. I think they're both better than the Death Touch Indestructible Black trick, but I also think it's not the end of the world if you have to play one of those. I think that in general, like across the format, I do not like Annihilating Glare, but I think that Red Black does like Annihilating Glare. I think it's pretty easy to have an object that you can spare and... It's nice to have a thing that can kill some of the bigger creatures. There are also additional good removal spells at Uncommon. I think Rebel Salvo is better than all the common removal, and Drown and Icker is also quite good. Maybe better than all the common removal, comparable to like Hexagold Slash maybe, but I think I would probably prefer Drown. So yeah, you should... In general, not expect that Anoint is going to ever kill big stuff. Like, it's basically just Exile Smother, which is fine. Um, but I do think that it is possible to have kind of a more black-heavy uh, version of this deck that does look to corrupt your opponent with a combination of Pestilent Siphoners, uh, the Rat, Stinging Hive Master. If you end up with a bunch of that stuff, you can play the Head Cleaver or whatever, the 2-4 Menace Toxic 2. I don't know why you would try to do that unless like black was very open and you end up basically being like black toxic supplementing with red removal or you just are red black and get a lot of annoyance. But for the most part, I'm not looking to prioritize toxic creatures and uh, annoyance is really the only corrupted card I'd be trying to play. Yeah, you're mostly, I think, oil slash mm, less synergy, more just like good you know good two for one creatures and removal i think that you're generally looking to play an early defensive game like you don't want to be trying to trade blows in the first few turns with like uh, a toxic creature because you know you would prefer not to be corrupted while you can help it and then kind of trying to turn the corner quickly with like jimmy rebel and furnace strider once you're at the point where like, maybe it doesn't matter if you get corrupted because you're, like, hitting hard enough to win the race. Or maybe, you know, you're blocking with your two and three drops and attacking with your four and five drops. Yeah, I, I think as far as this format goes, I kind of think of this as a controlling deck, uh, which is really to say that it's mid-range. But, like, this is a format where in a lot of ways mid-range just is, like, de facto control. So it's like it's it's control because you want to draft two and three drops that block well rather than two and three drops that attack well. And because you're not concerned with getting your first creatures to connect with your opponent because you don't care about getting your opponent corrupted. And so I think that like 
don't care about corrupted kind of categorically in the format puts you uh, a little bit more likely to be mid-range or control rather than aggro where I care about corrupted is going to lead to you doing a lot more to like try to get those first couple hits in. So that is to say, I think that, you know, for the most part, if you just think about your deck as more of a mid-range deck, like even though you have these kind of expensive, aggressive cards uh, like Rabble and Burnished Rider, they're really about turning the corner. Um, they're not about, like, you're not a, like, you know, traditional, like, red aggro, get early damage in. You're, you're, finished, you're an attrition deck, not a tempo deck. You're uh, grinding the opponents out rather than beating them down. Their life, you're not like trying to get them low and burn them out. You're trying to have an overwhelming board presence and kill them quickly from there before they can like draw and cast their like giant planeswalkers and stuff and other bombs. But um, you're trying to win with board superiority, like better numbers, more cards uh, in play rather than like racing to eliminate your opponent's life total i think that really covers like the key kind of conceptual uh difference in terms of like how you should be thinking about how you care about damage and so yeah like i talked about the deck has the potential to be high synergy if you are high synergy that's most likely about uh oil and combining and then the way that red black is about oil is often going to be about oil and stuff dying. You'll have uh, stuff like, um, you know, I, I guess the best of them is Char Forger, but uh, Necrosquito. And while it has the worst stats by far, uh, the one mana artifact, the black uh, bat that gets creatures back from the graveyard, um, I think you need to be really, really deep on this whole kind of thing. But I, I'm a bit of a believer in that card, even though its stats are so bad. Um, but I think that, you know, like you need to really commit. You need to play like Skull Bombs and uh, Churning Reservoir and just kind of like all, all the bad cards. If you have all the bad cards together, I still kind of think there's something there. But uh, certainly, you know, 17 land stats suggest that it's safer to be less about the synergy and more about kind of just a good curve with good removal and kind of those like reliable good cards that I talked about, um, like the good creatures. And then, you know, if you have to play some tricks or spell bombs or whatever to round out the deck, so be it. Worth noting that Hazardous Blast has very good stats uh, in red-green, really bad stats in red-black. That actually makes sense to me. Red green is much more about big games. You have less removal, more like huge creatures. Uh, green is generally just more likely to lend itself to a board stall. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're playing red black and you're anywhere near this like small game thing that I'm talking about, like Hazardous Blast is a horrible small game card. That card is about like establishing a board stall and then killing all their blockers and. Uh, winning or disabling their blockers and just like having power equal to their life total you cast it in the game ends whereas if you're trading stuff off all the time then blast is just four mana to kill someone toughness creatures basically that also you know leans into what i was saying about their life total isn't what matters like it's not about the reach and stuff it's really like it's about control and that it's about having 
a better board than your opponent. And so it's like this weird like control in a way where like furnace charger is a control card in that it's giving like it's so big it has so many stats that it can or furnace strider rather furnace strider is like a control card in that the way that you're trying to control is by just having more numbers than your opponent and strider has a lot of numbers for its mana um and so it blocks reasonably but it also just tacks in a i don't know if control is the right way to put it but i guess what i'm saying is that it's attritiony like your opponent's often going to have to double block it so it'll two for one them and it's good at kind of like being the last thing standing to like win small game attrition battles i guess i guess that's a better way of thinking about it it's a good like high impact last card standing so yeah, a little scattered, and I kind of wish I had a little bit more experience with the high synergy stuff, because while I sort of believe in it, it's hard to like really go to bat for it when I can't say that I've had great success with it, and other people in aggregate haven't either. I definitely think the safest way to draft red-black is to just you know, red's a great color. Black has decent, like, removal support. Uh, try to play all the good red cards and just round it out with some, like, good black removal. And you're going to have certainly just, like, a safe deck for this format. Like I said, I kind of think there's something there if you if it all comes together with the bad cards. But I think that it's, you know, you certainly shouldn't prioritize the bad cards, the synergy cards, over the generically good cards. But if all that stuff comes around late, I, I think there's something to the package as all. Well. I think that basically uh, covers what I think is going on with this deck. Like level one, which is where you want to be, is just the good red creatures and then all of the good removal and red and black. And then kind of like level two is uh, like get the funky oil death synergy stuff. But it's this weird spot where like you're kind of hoping that all your bad cards come together into something reasonable, but the something reasonable, I don't think it's better than just like having all the good cards when, uh, when the colors are open. And if the colors aren't open, like red, black, isn't really like good enough that you should be drafting it if they aren't. So it's, it's a weird spot. It's, it's hard to find the moments when you're even supposed to try to do the, uh, the thing, I guess is what I'm saying. So Let's uh, turn it over to chat for questions and thank uh, my newest patrons. So uh, thanks to Michael, Justin, and Johnny. Uh, appreciate the support. And uh, chat, um, what do you have for me? How do you choose to be in this archetype? I have avoided it completely for about 50 drafts. Like, what pulls you in? So, I mean, I think the answer is most people don't get into it most of the time. Um, like, it is one of the two least played decks, and it's not successful enough that you should try to be there. I would say that, uh, you know, usually it's going to be, well, at least for me, and I think for most people who are drafting on Arena, you're a lot more likely to start red than start black. And so then, you know, you probably have some red decks that you prefer to be in. They're probably red-green followed by red-white. Maybe they're red-white followed by red-green. If those aren't open, uh, you'll probably be drafting them anyway. If those are really, really not open, then it's better to find black as your second color than it is to find blue as your second color. 
theoretically, according to the stats on Seven Lands. Some counterarguments can exist about that, but let's say that you are in kind of, you know, you're pretty settled in red, and then you're probably going to be green or white, and I'm probably not going to try to talk you out of doing that. But if those aren't open and black is, and you see some kind of reasonable black signal, like you see, you know, an anoint, say, fourth pick, that's a pretty strong signal that people passing to you aren't in black. Um, then maybe you take the anoint, and then, uh, you know, you're looking for, like, uh, testament bearers, char forgers, annihilating glares, uh, kind of in the back of the pack. Then, you, then you've kind of found a lane. So I, I think it's mostly just the common, like, it's mostly, like, the common removal in black is available uh, before you've found a different second color after starting red is, I think, the most likely way that you end up in red-black, really. Uh, obviously, the red-black rare, the 4-mana full of 4, is not going to put you in red-black. And while uh, Charforger is a strong card, I don't think that it's, like, something that you should, you know, like, first or second pick and then, like, force red-black, though. I think um, it's not unreasonable to take it early. So, I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> I think you are red and then black is very open is the most likely way to end up in red black. And I think that if you're not finding yourself in red black, uh, that's not necessarily a you problem. <laughs> is the red black win rate artificially depressed by the lack of ranked pods and pod drafts in general? Would your advice about how to draft it change if you were drafting in a pod? I think that the win rate of everything except red green is somewhat depressed on arena by the lack of uh, ranked pods in pod draft. Someone, there was a Twitter thread recently that claimed that the data reasonably strongly suggests that more casual players, as the euphemism will go with right now, are more likely to force poison, which is why black and white and kind of the bad green cards end up like not being available. And people taking all of these like, Toxic cards that aren't even that good out of the packs early in the draft makes it really hard to not want to be in red-green, which has kind of the strongest cards anyway, and then don't they don't like lose synergies to the people who are prioritizing the poison cards. As it happens, red-black is also a beneficiary of this, um, in that like red-black is not looking for the toxic stuff. And so it's good that there are, you know, players in your pod who are overvaluing toxic cards, but that doesn't make it better to draft than red green on arena. I don't I don't know how much more I can say about that, but I do think that like arena is pretty different in this format than um I think like best of one on arena is appreciably different from best of three and Best of one on arena is very different than like best of three in pod drafting. I feel that is always wrong unless you have an obscene amount of proliferate slash token makers. I think that the time when I'm most likely to be interested in VAT is when I have churning reservoir or even multiple churning reservoirs that I want to play for non-VAT related reasons. But I, I do think that uh, it is best a vast majority of the time not to play that when i'm in a grindy archetype i expect to splash more often absolutely does black red support a splash pretty well yes especially when black red is more about oil uh there's obviously a lot of synergy with green 
Certainly when I looked at the recent Black Red Trophy decks, there was a lot of like Black Red splashing green for like Glissa or some other uh, gold bomb. And it is definitely the case that, you know, if you're prioritizing engraver and removal and trying to play a grindy game, you're not going super far out of your way to play, you know, like a Dune Mover or something in this deck and uh, have the ability to splash. I I don't like Prophetic Prism in the format in general, but certainly the more you're playing Annihilating Glare, the more reasonable it is to have a Prophetic Prism in your deck. So I I I do think that uh, Black Red is a very reasonable deck to splash in. Is Necrotitan decent in this archetype with Rabble Token uh, to sack um, or like other sack stuff without corrupting your opponent? No, I don't think it's a good card to splash. I would just much rather have more Rabbles or Testament Bearers or other cards. There are like some spots where you're going to be able to play it relatively free, but there are too many spots where you just don't have a 1-1 around and uh, it's going to be really bad. And then it's like pretty likely that your opponent has some kind of answer to it, and then uh, you're like in a pretty bad spot. I know the stats on it are quite bad in red-black. I, 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 I would not mess around with it. Do you think... Hive Master is a good card or just a good toxic card. I think that it is uh, kind of generically good, and I think that it's a good, like, sack value card and a good toxic card. Uh, this archetype is interested in it more as, you know, that, like, two-for-one type space than for its toxic, but I think that it's a totally solid red-black card. Thoughts on Infectious Inquiry. Is the two-life too, uh, pain too harsh? I think that Infectious Inquiry is not very good here. I think that three mana draw two, like Divination is just not a great baseline in this format. Um, The format's just a bit too aggressive for it, and there are other ways to get card advantage. I think that you need to really value the one poison, which this deck doesn't at all, and you need to not mind the two pain, which arguably this deck doesn't, but certainly the two pain doesn't help you, you know, get away with casting Divination. So I, I would I would generally pass on Infectious Inquiry in this deck. I think starting red and hitting a mono black bomb is the most likely way to end up in red black. Yeah, that that's also true. If you just are kind of red X in pack one and then you open, you know, Shieldred or Raska or the Six Six Flyer or any of that kind of card, then it's very easy to just be in red black. How many Char Forgers is too many? They're actually really good in multiples. Uh so I don't know, like nine or something. Um, you, you can play a lot of Forgers and be happy about it. How many sack outlets do you want if you're playing Awaken? I haven't played Awaken, but I would if I had enough sack outlets. However, like the only sack outlet you're going to have, I guess you could have the red-black 4-4 rare, and you can have Cutthroat Centurion, and you can have Annihilating Glare. Centurion contributes a lot more to wanting to play it than Glare does because Glare costs an extra mana and like you have to, you know, Centurion just kind of hangs out and play and then works whenever, whereas Glare you have to like still be holding when you set up the spot where you want to like do the, the steal their thing, the Awaken. So I would say the minimum is probably around two centurions and a glare to like start thinking about it Uh, so i would say like two reliable permanents and one spell or like one reliable permanent and three spells um somewhere around there 
What do you do if you don't find enough removal in draft? Do you try to pivot from the red-black space? Um, I think it would be weird for red-black to be the colors that are open and for you to not find removal. But I guess you just like lean into being aggressive and play some tricks. Like if red-black is open and you're not finding removal, then your creatures must be pretty good. Um, so you have like a bunch of batter fists and engravers and then like the good fours and fives and that like aggressive plan black backed by some crescendos and free from fleshes sounds pretty reasonable to me. So if you're like correctly in red, black and committed to it, but not finding removal, then yeah, you're just an aggro deck with tricks and that's fine. Maybe chittering skittering if you have a toxic package. Yeah, I mean, it's fine if you somehow are very deeply toxic, but I think that it's very unlikely for Red Black to be in a, a Chittering Skittering deck. You need to have like such reliable toxic for that that it just doesn't seem. Again, that that would, it would basically only happen if you're like mono black splash like Volt Charge and a couple other red cards that you would end up being like that toxic. So yeah, uh, big picture, I guess. You're a mid-range deck. You do care about attacking your opponent, but you're not really that... Con you're much more concerned with uh, board superiority than their life total. Splashing is okay. Uh, you really want to have a good curve, as with all the decks in this format. You most likely are not going to prioritize kind of the, like, oil death stuff that Red Black is theoretically about. You're better off prioritizing just good creatures and good removal, but it's possible to do good stuff with the uh, the more synergistic stuff. This is a deck that I think can often... Um, like, I think it's not unlikely to have, like, a kind of weird curve where you have, like, a lot of twos and fours and not so many threes, and I think that's fine. Like, basically, I guess what I'm saying is you should continue to take Rabbles and Bearers over non-premium threes, like not Charforger. Like, take Charforger and Ambulatory Edifice over them, uh, but, like, I think it's fine to take an additional Rabble or Bearer over a three that is generally weaker than them, like, to fill your curve, unless you're, like, short on twos. But just, like, playing another two and then having the good four instead of a three, I think, is a reasonable way for you to end up uh, with your red black deck. And uh, yeah, I, I think that basically covers it. So thanks for listening. Sorry about the delay this week. I was planning to be somewhat delayed due to uh, traveling to Pennsylvania and then my flights got messed up on the way back, but um, I should be back on normal schedule uh, moving forward. So thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.